0: Kia ora, I'm Damian Venuto, it's August 30th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Parliament will next Friday dissolve as the Governor-General triggers the course of events that lead to the next election. But as politicians prepare their final speeches of the 53rd Parliament, they are already deep in campaign mode with the rhetoric between the parties heating up in recent days. So with coalition deals already being fleshed out in public, fiscal promises and swing voter friendly policies already being dished out, what is the current state of campaigning? And are politicians' priorities in the right place? Today, on the front page, NZ Herald Deputy Editor and host of the On the Tiles podcast, Thomas Coglin, joins us for a discussion about the dissolution of Parliament and what will happen next. Thomas, so once this sitting week ends, what actually happens at Parliament? Are the doors getting locked until the end of October? How long does Labour remain in the government? And how much governing are they actually going to do over this little period? Parliament limps on for a few more days. So there are no more
1: sitting days like question time and stuff. That that all ends. If there's any sort of select committee work, uh, that has a few more days to wrap up. But then the Parliament gets dissolved and that's it for this Parliament. That's the end. Uh, ministers continue being ministers right up until new government is sworn in. Big decisions are not made during that time. It's it's inappropriate to make big decisions at that time. And there's a convention of, of restraint um, being exercised. So, you know, the day before voting opens, the government can't all of a sudden decide uh, that it wants to give you all a massive tax cut, for instance, because obviously that would be, you know, very bad.
0: <laughs> you You wrote in recent weeks that this term was begging to come to an end. What prompted you to write that, and how rough have the last few weeks been? I think the last few weeks have been very, very rough. You know, there
1: are only 120 MPs in Parliament. Um, A lot of them work very, very hard, and it's it's been a pretty gruelling term, obviously. We started with Omicron and and the second half of the COVID sort of response. They're exhausted. They're worn out. They're grumpy. They're getting quite sort of... um, quite snarky sometimes on select committees, sniping at each other um, every so often. I think because obviously we're, the election campaign is on the horizon, part of that is actually that they're itching to get out on the hustings and to talk a bit more about themselves. You know, you've seen Chris, uh, Chris Hipkins talking about Chris Luxon's sort of attitudes around abortion and stuff taking sort of personal attacks at each other, which is something they probably weren't doing a, a year ago. MPs are just getting quite scratchy.
0: Yeah, beyond that sniping though, the big story has been Labour ruling out working with NZ First. Chris Hipkins also took aim at National. Act and the Coalition of Fear, as he called it. What did you make of this relatively fiery speech from Hipkins, who's been the bread and butter guy until now?
1: It's interesting because it's it's certainly something that Jacinda Ardern probably wouldn't have done. I think with Labour and National so close, Chris Hipkins decided it's really in his benefit to not just talk about what Labour is, but what Labour isn't, and what a hypothetical National Act New Zealand First government would be. Um, In the UK, they call these tactics Project Fear. You look at what, what what that kind of alternative government would be, like and you talk about it in the most sort of terrifying terms to kind of spook the voters into into sticking with the devil they know rather than the devil
0: they don't fear and anger are two very powerful motivating factors right Definitely.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and and you know, when you're in the polling booth, a, a lot of voters don't actually make up their mind on who they vote for until they get into the polling booth. And Labour's sort of gambling on, you know, the polling shows us right now, right, the country is in a really negative mood. By and large, people are feeling pretty bad about, about where the country is and, and about the economy and things. But Labour knows that in the privacy of the polling booth, some voters are going to be thinking, look, I don't feel great about where we are right now. But that alternative government, that looks really scary. So look, I don't exactly like recipients, I don't exactly like Labour, but I'd rather that than the National Act, New Zealand First Alternative. That's the kind of message i are trying to put out here.
0: Thomas, do you think there's also an element here of trying to separate them from National quite clearly? Because a lot of the policy bonfire has seemed to bring them a bit closer to National, and at times it's been quite difficult to differentiate between what Labour stands for and what National stands for.
1: Yeah, look, the announcement that Hipkins made, it was all about national. It wasn't really about giving Labour certainty about New Zealand First. New Zealand First was never going to go with Labour. They said that they would never go with Labour. They made it pretty clear. So, look, maybe there's a one-cent chance for happening. What the announcement did give Chris Hipkins the chance to do was to say... New Zealand First has these values, New Zealand First believes in this and that, and that's Christopher Luxon's problem to explain to you. So New Zealand First has been talking about aspects relating to the COVID response. New Zealand First has been talking about transgender issues and bathrooms and that sort of thing. And Chris Hopkins is able to draw a line under it and say, look, I'm pro-trans rights. I'm proud of the COVID response. And all of this stuff that New Zealand First is talking about, well, that, you know, Christopher Luxon has to answer for that. It's this this messy problem, this this bomb of problems that he's lobbed over the fence for Christopher Luxon to deal with. And because Christopher Luxon knows New Zealand First is polling close to 5%, Christopher Luxon knows that he might need New Zealand First to get him above the number needed to form a government to get those 61 seats. So Christopher Luxon can't really afford to harden his position on New Zealand First. He can't afford to do that. That means that every chance Chris Sipkin gets to make New Zealand First Christopher Lux's problem makes life more difficult for Christopher Luxon, gives Christopher Luxon less time to talk about the things that he wants to talk about, like tax cuts and, and whatnot, and more time going through New Zealand first policy manifesto and saying where he stands on this stuff. Are you still open to working with listening? Well, as I said, I've been very clearly saying he's not above the threshold, he's not in Parliament, and what I'm focused on is making sure I maximise the National Party vote.
0: What do you make of Christopher Luxon's reluctance to rule out Winston Peters and NZ First? Is that not just fueling the fire in this attack that's been put forward by Labour? Uh, yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, it's absolutely uh, <laughs> a national ex-New Zealand First government would be, yeah, you know, that would be quite a formulation, I think. Um, Ex-New Zealand First can't stand each other. Um, I think a lot of people in, New, in National don't like New Zealand First. New Zealand First came out of the National Party and Winston Peters has a historic beef with the National Party, um, which has been, you know, rumbling along for decades, actually. Like, during the 1980s, he was a uh, supporter of what was called the Sunday Club, which was this sort of internal spat within National. So, it's you know, it's like 30 years of Winston Peters and us and, and with the National Party. So it is quite chaotic. But for... Christopher Luxon missed his chance to rule out Winston Peters when Winston Peters was polling very low. Winston Peters is polling quite well now, and it looks like he will make it into Parliament. And so Christopher Luxon knows that if Winston Peters is in Parliament and an opportunity to form a government is there, he wants to be the one to, to take it up and to form that government come what may. He doesn't want to rule out Winston Peters now just in case he is in Parliament and National can't form a government without him. And then, you know, then where, where are you left? I think National in general is haunted by 2017 when it thought it had won on election night, voting for New Zealand first to go with Labour.
0: Given that the coalition of chaos angle has been thrown at Labour and the Greens and NZ First in the past, is this now fair game for Labour to be taking that position against National?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's absolute poetry. The polling shows that New Zealand is on the right track, wrong track measure. We are in a very grumpy, negative state at the moment. That is how we feel. Almost because of that, the electorate is fragmenting and fracturing. And the two likely governments are bring to party Maori government, which would be chaotic in its own way. But Awari Waisi and Debbie Vapeka haven't got experience of government and they're pretty strong on what they want their bottom lines to be and they're certainly not where Labour wants its bottom lines. Uh, you know I, and I don't mean this pejoratively but they are disruptive in terms of their politics like, they are disruptors it's not pejorative that is just a descriptor of you know they, they like to get in there and shake things up a little bit and I think well, third term labor doesn't want things shaken up because they're the thing that gets shaken up likewise on the right side of things the first act national that's chaotic too so you know it's kind of funny with the, the, the electorates are really grumpy and dissatisfied but what that means is that the next government is likely to be a very unstable and kind of chaotic one.
0: front page is the New Zealand Herald's daily news podcast. And to hear more about local and national politics in New Zealand, listen to new episodes of On the Tiles, the Herald's politics podcast, every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. The government of this week announced $4 billion in savings over the forecast period, weeks after fears over fiscal holes and impending debt. Is this announcement... Savvy political timing, a little bit cynical, or is it a necessary fiscal announcement given what's been revealed about the finances?
1: I think it's all of those things. I think it's very savvy politically because it makes it difficult for National to make their promises add up. So National wanted to reprioritise spending of its own to fund its own tax policies and spending promises. Labour getting ahead of that and doing that means there's less money in the kitty for National to use. Because what Labor's done, is taken that money and it's banked it. So it means that that money won't get spent under Labour. And what will happen is we get surplus faster and pay down debt faster. So if National wants to rip that open again and spend that money on its own promises, well then all of a sudden National's the one that's profligate. National's the one that's spending money that Labour spend. Very, very messy. Not good politics for National.
0: And this is why you've said that it essentially lays a bunch of landmines for Nicola Willis.
1: Definitely. It's, it, it makes Nicola Willis's job really, really hard. She's announcing her tax policy, so she has to work out how that goes. And she's also going to announce her fiscal plan, so that's sort of like a draft budget, after pre-fur, which is only a couple of weeks away. So so she's going to have, I mean, obviously she's very busy at the moment because, you know, she's a finance spokesperson during an election campaign, but this means she's going to really have to work incredibly hard to make sure that this thing actually adds up. It's savvy economically because, yes, we have had a poll line in our tax revenue, and you probably do need to cut your cloth to fit a wee bit. The government is spending quite a lot, and basically all the commentators out there are calling for some retrenchment and just to sort of balance the books a wee bit. So that is that is probably savvy economically. One thing that isn't getting talked about a lot is the fact that he is, Grant Robertson's taken money from future budgets and banked it. He's shrunk the size of future budgets. So that, one, makes it very difficult for Nicola Willis because it means that she has to keep to those smaller future budgets. They haven't, naturally haven't been expecting that potentially. That is hard for Nicola Willis. It's also savvy politics, because by the time those future budgets come along for Grant Robertson, there's every chance he'll just put the money back in there and spend it again. So he gets to bank it, grow about it during the election campaign, but if he's the finance minister for budget 2025 and 26, while well, he gets to spend it again. I'm not sure if you do this, but sometimes I put money into my savings account to stop me from spending it, and then I take it out again when I'm broke. It's kind of like that.
0: I mean... It does also feel like a subtle form of campaigning because you are leaving these traps for the opposition to step into. And it does highlight how big a role the economy will play in this election. So what are the big talking points going to be over the next few weeks?
1: In terms of the economy, we've got prefu on September 12th. That's when the government opens the box and we get to see the forecasts. So with tax revenue at the moment, Most economists and commentators think that will be down quite significantly. Westpac had some numbers the other day, which were above $10 billion, I think close to $14 billion down from the last year forecast. That spread out over a number of years. So what that means is that the books are just in a weaker shape than they might have been. And that means more debt over the long term and a longer path to surplus. So one of the big talking points is just to get the books back into a position where they're strong and can withstand a future shock. You know, like no one likes to talk about it, but you know, there's another earthquake that will happen eventually. There's another pandemic or something out there at this time in the cycle the government needs to start thinking about just rebuilding the roof while the sun is shining kind of thing to get ready for those um those events uh, the other thing is obviously inflation um inflation is actually forecast to come down um to where we want it to be next year there will be a lot of chat about making sure that the government lives up to its side of the bargain there by just ensuring that it doesn't contribute to inflation by spending excessively. The other side of that is the tax debate. Obviously, Labour and National are sort of similar to each other on tax and that ruled out any massive tax changes, either of them. But I think the Greens and Party Māori are quite keen to say, well, look, you know, where we are in the economic cycle means that we do have to sort of look at where we, we are spending, but we don't necessarily need to cut public services or cut things radically to achieve those gains if we look to tax wealth or something like that. So there's that debate happening over on the side as well.
0: Thomas, the Greens are pushing their climate focus and cheaper light rail and urban development funds while NZ First and the multitude of parties that emerge from the COVID pandemic are also pushing issues around bathrooms and mandates. Are they going to get a foot in the mainstream or is this really just going to come down to the economy and managing the country through what is going to be a tough period of job cuts and so forth?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really good question and it's one I don't really have an answer for. It's incredible how much
0: these small,
1: um, small little issues can hijack an election campaign. Winston Peters is actually very good at just finding an issue that he knows that people will be interested in and getting the entire political world to talk about it for a long time. You know, I cover politics and I have done for a long time. No one has ever really raised with me concerns about transgender access to bathrooms issue. Um, it doesn't seem to be top of mind for anyone. And yet Winston Peters put it on the agenda last week and got both major party leaders talking about it and um, the whole political world talking about it. It is incredible how much these marginal issues manage to hijack an election campaign if the politician who's promoting them is, is you know, clever and sophisticated in the way that they operate. But, you know, we've got a lot of polling this election that shows us that the economy, cost of living and crime, law and order, are the top issues front of mind for people.
0: How do you think our politicians will perform once Parliament is wrapped up and the gloves have come off?
1: Oh, it'll be scrappy. Labour was performing so well last election that Jacinda Ardern sort of, she was almost campaigning against herself. She didn't really even need to talk about national. And, you know, national was sort of like a theoretical concept during that election. This election, and a national-led government is a is a very real possibility. I think our poll of polls has a sort of 70-30 chance of a national formulation. It just means that it's much more real and it's much more personal. And I think the change as well, Jacinda Ardern was sort of a positive campaign. and Chris Hipkins is a, is a scrapper. You know, he loves Parliament. He loves the cut and thrust. He is going to scrap. That'll be really exciting. It'll be occasionally personal, occasionally uncomfortable, but also really exciting and a bit more fun than, you know, last election, which was really like watching a world champion race against themselves the other interesting thing is luxon you know he's not a natural politician i guess he's new he is he, he he is a hard worker and he learns fast i think a lot of new zealanders will have made up their minds about him over the last few years and i think of a polling shows that they've made up their minds about him and not not liked him very much because they found him not all that great but i think over that time he has actually been working on his political abilities and he has sort of been in training and he does work incredibly hard i, I still think chris hipkins has got the measure of luxon in terms of those raw abilities
0: Thanks for joining us, Thomas. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look Behind the Headlines.